Okay, we're um, looking at the, what's called the Last Supper. It wasn't by any means the last meal that Jesus took with his disciples. There were a couple more things where he ate with them. Um, but it is possibly the most significant meal in the Bible, aside from the um, marriage supper of the Lamb, which hasn't quite happened yet. Okay. So this wasn't um, a random thing. It wasn't Jesus thinking, oh, I haven't had a curry and a beer with the lads lately. Let's do that. This was his regular practice to celebrate the Passover. It was known as Feast of Unleavened Bread or Season of Freedom. And it is recorded in each of the Gospels. So I'm not going to actually read the, the bit of narrative because they each record it slightly differently. Um, one records uh, Jesus took the cup and said, uh, this is my blood. He took bread and said, this is my body. Um, he took a cup after supper. Um, and so there are various um, situations. You think, well, um, what, what was this about? Why are they different? And why is one recording uh, more than one cup of wine and only one lot of bread? So that's what we're going to look at and unpack this a little bit. So the Passover celebrated um, the freedom from slavery of the people of Israel. And it celebrated the fact that not only did they come out from slavery under Pharaoh and journey to the promised land, they changed from being a nomadic clan-based group to being a nation with laws, government, culture, all under the care and protection of Yahweh. The first um, Passover was undertaken in haste. They had to kill an unblemished lamb put some of its blood on the lintel, so the, the piece, I think that's right, the top piece is the lintel, and then the side pieces of the door, so they had to put blood on the doorpost. Now, the thing that's interesting about that is not only um, that was a specific thing that they did, and if you want to read um, things into this, the blood that was at the top would have dripped down onto the bottom part of the door and that would have been, had a dip in it because you know when people use a door a lot you get a dip okay so we can actually see a, a precursor of the cross in the shape of that but perhaps what's most significant is that you know like the man who had the party and no everyone made excuses you know oh got married or you know and it's just, just a load of nonsense the things that they were saying well the other thing that you did, not only did you send your servants out to say, hey, food's ready, come get it. Um, what you did is when you actually killed the lamb, you dipped your hand in the blood and you put the handprint on the wall of your house so that when the people came along the road, they're going, oh, what number do they live at? And actually, oh, look, there it is. It's got the handprint of the blood. That's the place where there's the food. So blood was significant in not only was this marking out the home that had been, um, if you like, sanctified and protected by the blood of this particular lamb that was going to protect them from the angel of death, there was also this idea that this was hospitality. This was a special kind of hospitality. And we're going to look at that. So you had to, you celebrated that first Passover um, packed for a journey. So the, the bread that they, they made a, a type of sourdough bread, and they had a thing called an eating trough, and the, the dough was in there, but they didn't have time to turn it into proper bread. So they just wrapped it in a cloth and put it over their shoulder, um, along with they had their travelling clothes on, their staff in their hand, their sandals on their feet, um, and they ate it in haste. 
but in their house. And any creatures that they had, other than the one that had been sacrificed, also was in the house. And it was a family event, the whole family together. And if it was a friend next door on their own, you brought them in as well. And as they celebrated, as they ate that lamb together, the angel of the death of disease went through Egypt and any um, animal or firstborn person, uh, particularly firstborn males, died if they weren't protected by the blood. The people then left Egypt under the uh, leadership of Moses, entered in the Promised Land. Once they entered the Promised Land, they celebrated the Passover in a slightly different way. It was a more leisurely meal, and it had gone through some changes, and there were um, additions to that meal. And what fascinates me is that when um, the people of Israel, even though they were, if you like, inventing a celebration, they were putting things into it, as well as what God had told them they had to do. He didn't prescribe necessarily every detail of it. Like he tells us, we should worship God, but he doesn't tell us how. He doesn't tell us what songs to sing. Um, there are some good principles about how we might, uh, what we might look at in order to decide, is this a good song to sing? But it was like, people, the people of Israel can't help but elevate Jesus, and they don't know that they're doing it. And even with the, the unleavened bread that's used, even today, for the Passover meal, a matzo is, is quite big. They're quite big squares, like a big crisp bread. They've got holes in, because you have to pierce um, baked goods to stop them from rising. So if you want to um, make a pastry case, you know that you dock the bottom of the thing, because you don't want all bubbles of pastry in your flan, or your quiche. Uh, Christians eat quiche, don't they? Um, or quiche, sorry, quiche, that's it, <laughs> quiche, yeah. Um, and it's, it says in the scriptures um, that they will look on him whom they pierced. And every Passover, this is just an aside, by the way, that people are holding up this matzo, this pierced bread. Anyway, so back to the um, narrative. So they were no longer eating it in haste, and they were celebrating God's miracles um, of the plagues and their protection from Pharaoh's pursuing army and entry to the land of promise. Bread and wine feature in all Jewish feasts and festivals. It's not always unleavened. On the Sabbath, so every Friday, they have two loaves on the table called challah, and it's um, kind of like a brioche, and they have wine on the table, and they share that together. The, the meal difference with the Passover is this bread had to be unleavened, and God actually said, yeah, a feast of unleavened bread. Um, and leaven in the Bible is a picture of sin, as well as being a picture of all sorts of other things. That doesn't mean that leavened bread is sinful. It's okay. Um, there were offerings of leavened bread that you made to God as well. So because the bread, like I say, they didn't have time to let it rise, so they cooked it flat. And like I say, leaven often used as a, a picture of sin. And when you get ready, if you're a Jewish person, when you get ready for the Passover, you clear your house of leaven, um, any kind of crumbs that there might be of, of leavened bread, because it is a holy festival as well. So when Jesus took the bread and the wine, it, this wasn't some random idea. It wasn't like when you go to a restaurant and there's a couple of bottles of wine on the table and you've all got a bread roll. And you thought, oh, right, let's do a piece of that. It was very, very specific. The, um, this 
particular pieces of bread, these cups of wine were embodied and um, embedded with significance. There were three pieces of unleavened bread on the table and five cups of wine. The three pieces of bread um, were in a special bag with three pockets or else they were in a napkin that had been kind of wrapped, curled like that so that three pieces of matzo were in this thing, bag or napkin, separated by a layer of fabric from each other. But the thing itself is called a unity. I can't remember the Hebrew word for it. Go where you like with that one. Um, so now, what was the significance of the bread? The top and the bottom matzo are significant of the double portion of manna, the God food that was given to them when they were wandering around in the wilderness. And so the top and the bottom matzo, they are the double portion. Okay, so you, on the sixth day, you collected twice as much manna, and it lasted over to the Sabbath. On other days of the week, had you tried to collect twice as much, it would have gone rotten, because God provided every day, except for the sixth one when he gave you twice as much. So um, that's the, uh, the, the two on the top and the bottom. The middle one is called the bread of affliction, and that is significant of slavery in Egypt. The cups of wine recall God's acts and promises. So cup one, cup of sanctification, and these are I will statements of God to his people. I will bring you out. That's cup one. Now, in the ancient world, when a slave was given their freedom, they were given cups of wine to drink, and it's called um, wine bowls of freedom. And that was one of the things. So you celebrated with your slave when you gave them their freedom, because you were going to give them money and the means to look after themselves. Cup two, cup of witness, telling forth of deliverance. I will deliver you. So number one, I will bring you out. Number two, I will deliver you. Um, uh, sorry, I will rescue you, but... Um, cup three, cup of blessing and redemption. I will redeem you. Cup four, the cup of completion. I will take you as my people. Cup five, cup of Elijah. Now, this was a reminder of God's promise in the Old Testament that he would send Elijah as the forerunner to the Messiah. Um, this was left on the table as an indication of expectation. It also carried with it the importance of the idea of hospitality, that perhaps Messiah, like the angels that visited Abraham, might come unannounced and want to drink of that cup. So one of the strong messages that runs through the teaching that we present here um, at Gather Collective is that we believe that every story whispers his name. We believe that every story um, speaks of Jesus. Therefore, we should expect to find Jesus in the Passover celebration. So, what is the significance of the bread and the wine? Which piece of bread? Which cup of wine was Jesus referring to? Near the beginning of the Passover meal, um, Jesus would have broken the middle matzo, and he would have broken it in such a way that there was a small piece and a big piece. The small piece was shared amongst the people at the table, and that's um, the bread of affliction. That's recalling slavery in Egypt. So they all shared that. Then the other piece, the bigger piece, is called the afikomen, and that would have been wrapped in a separate napkin and hidden. Now, in a normal course of events of a Passover meal, which is a family thing, the children are 
told there are things to watch out for. And one of the things they need to watch out for is what father, because it's usually the, the main male of the family, will take that afikomen and hide it. So they have to watch out where it's hidden. But it's hidden away. So um, that was the, um, uh, the piece that was hidden. And the thing is that the afikomen actually means something like, we would say, dessert. But that's not quite right. It's the last thing that you eat. And we'll come to that in a minute. So the meal progresses. The cups of wine are drunk. And the, as um, we reflected, cup five is left on the table. Now, some Christians think that the fifth one was the one that Jesus used at the Last Supper. Um, I'm not totally happy with that interpretation, although I'm not a, you know, I'm not a Hebrew scholar or anything. Um, but because it talks about the forerunner, of the Messiah, and Jesus very clearly states that John the Baptist was the prophetic forerunner. So I'm of the mind that Jesus actually left cup five on the table, but as a promise of his coming again. So, but that's my interpretation. You may, um, you know, find that there's other interpretations of that. I think it is very likely that the piece of bread of which Jesus said, "This is my body." was actually the hidden afikomen. Um, it began, like we said, in that bag with the two other pieces, and there were three of them. We can allude to the Trinity. It was broken in two and hidden away, a picture of the fact that Jesus would be broken and hidden away in the tomb. It was brought out and shared with everyone as the last thing eaten. A sign that the meal, the Passover, was finished and completed. Jesus' death and resurrection were the final sacrifice. Nothing else was needed. And the thought with the afikomen is if that was the last thing you ate, that was what you went away with, the flavour of that in your mouth. So, the four cups of wine tell us something about Jesus and what he's achieved on the cross. He... Uh, the cup one of sanctification, I will bring you out. So we've been brought out from slavery under sin and Satan. Um, and I believe that metaphorically anyway, Jesus pours the wine bowl of freedom into our empty bowls, or the wine of freedom. The cup of witness and of telling forth, I will rescue you. We are thoroughly delivered and are free then to tell the story of our deliverance. Now, I think that the cup of blessing and redemption, the third one, I will redeem you, is the most likely one that Jesus used when he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. We've nothing to pay. Jesus has paid it all. And the cup of completion, cup four, I will take you as my people. Now, um, when uh, Peter is writing, he says this. And he's actually thinking about this situation of the, um, the, the Passover and what Jesus has achieved on the cross. And in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, he says, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Um, 
that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God. So there's this sense of being a new creation, being something different, and they were completely different. They went from being a random clan-based amorphous group to being this nation. And it's like in uh, one of my ages ago teachings, talking about being a new creation, what I likened it to is that before we become Christians, we're like a potato. But when we become Christians, we become gazelles, completely different things. You cannot relate the two things to each other. We are totally new creations. And so this is the, the sense of this um, celebration. Now, um, the thing that I think uh, it would be good to kind of try and get into the mindset of is of Jesus doing this. Because I can tell you all sorts of interesting facts. I've studied a lot of um, kind of Hebrew stuff, um, the sacrifices, the celebrations, um, temple and tabernacle worship, and all of it is really interesting. And we can allude to all kinds of things. But at the end of the day, every story whispers his name. And when Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood, yes, he did have a specific cup of wine. He did have a particular piece of um, unleavened bread in his hands. But I would like to actually take that as a bigger picture that he was actually saying, all of this is my body. All of this is my blood. It's, it was the whole thing. He was embodied in the Passover. He was talking about himself all the way through this. And every time he did one of these celebrations of, of his culture, he was speaking of himself. And it's a bit like, I guess, when um, uh, Abraham um, asked to sacrifice his son. And when he says, like he's talking to the servant and his son, and they said, well, where's the sacrifice? And the actual phrase is, God will provide himself. Not God will provide for himself. That's an error. God will provide himself. And so God, even then, was looking forward to some really costly sacrifice. And here is Jesus. He's actually, he has become that sacrifice. It's like, this is almost like a big game of chess, although that's a bit irreverent in one way, that as soon as this Passover meal began, the pieces are on the table and the, uh, the, this event is moving to that culmination of the end of all sacrifices, all Passovers. This was the Passover of Passovers. And I'm, I would imagine that actually Jesus was um, emotionally very drained by this event because he wasn't only, it wasn't just a question of, oh, like, let's deal the cards, you know, oh, have a bit of bread, have a sip of wine. He was actually, uh, this was where he was giving himself, and this was like he was entering into what the cost of that was going to be for mankind. So I believe it's, it's um, like the, the Passover was a temporary measure, the sacrifices were a temporary measure, and each one of them was looking forward to this day when this man and God, Jesus, was actually going to make all of it superfluous. And that um, in a few short hours, the curtain in the temple was going to be ripped apart um, 
And it wasn't uh, from the bottom, because you possibly could do that humanly. It was ripped from the top. And whoever must have been, uh, there was someone in there offering the incense at that time. I'm sure they must have been like terrified and probably ran out or collapsed in fear and had a heart attack. Because suddenly, to find that this barrier um, was no longer there. Now, we look on it as a really joyful thing, but actually that's quite scary. Um, that the, if you like, the, the fabric of heaven has been ripped apart and the way to God is open. Now, when Paul is writing um, to the church in special measures, the Corinthians, um, so in 1 Corinthians 5-7, he says this, and he's talking about um, how we celebrate now. So he says, get rid of the old leaven. Um, that's like the life of sin. Um, that's when I say that leaven is likened to sin. And he says, for indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. So now let us keep the feast. And not, we're not going to keep it in the old way, but we want to find a new way of celebrating it. That's not to say that it's not a good thing to celebrate the Passover, but now it needs to be celebrated in the life, light and life of Jesus. So I think that um, maybe one day it will be good for us to celebrate the Passover, um, as it might be a good thing for us to celebrate like Sukkot and um, you know, even Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Actually, unpacking these things in the light of who Jesus is. Now, obviously, I've whipped through this in like, you know, and I've only looked at the bread and the wine, and there are lots of other things that we could look at. If we go back to that, um, the three-layer thing, um, we could say that uh, in Christ we have a double portion. Um, we can say that the bread of affliction, that, that the small piece was the bread of affliction, the big piece is the afikomen, um, the dessert, the, the thing that you go away with. And there's all kinds of ways of reading um, Jesus into these events. But one of the things I think is important uh, for us is to remember that God puts in his word and encourages down through the ages people to use visual things, spoken things, sung things, objects to help us and to help us remember because we're not good at remembering. And so every time Jewish people, even today, when they celebrate Passover, um, they're celebrating a freedom they, you know, of um, life from death into life. Now, they don't understand the fullness of it because, as um, it says in Scripture, their eyes are veiled from seeing it all. But I think it would be good, um, and I'm going to pray, but to remember that symbolic acts, um, words, songs, images, they're important. And we need to ask God, I think, to help us find what are appropriate things for us as Gather Collective. New songs, maybe, um, liturgies, uh, images that are going to help us to recollect Jesus, things that will be with us. So um, I leave all that with you. So when you come to the scriptures and whatever cup of wine it was, um, you know, uh, like I say, even the scholars don't all agree on these things. So who am I? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for images, for songs, for words, for... Um, object lessons, for stories, all of these things that help us to remember who Jesus is and what he did and 
Lord, thank you for the songs that we've sung this morning. Thank you for those royal robes that we don't deserve them, and they are amazing. They're not, it's not just any old garment. It's beautiful. It's the robe of Jesus. Um, help us as we come to uh, the scriptures. Help us to recollect Jesus in what we read. And Lord, I pray that you will visit us with the gifts of creativity, that we might be a, a people when um, who have a, a whole kind of, I don't know, bank account full of ways that we can express our faith and our life. So Father, visit us, we ask, with a Holy Spirit gifting. Um, and Lord, will you draw out of us worship and praise to Jesus.